Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. All right. Hey, guys, it's Rena Jadhav here, Healthier Podcast with Dr. Thomas. Callan, and we are talking about his awesome new book, Cancer and the New Biology of Water. If you didn't watch part one, please do. It gives you the answer of what creates disease, specifically cancer, and how some simple things and some mindfulness of what you are doing and where you're hanging out and what you're putting on your body can help you be cancer-free. This part two is all about therapies. All right, Dr. Cowan. So chapter four, um, Quinton isotonic plasma. What is that? So this, the whole thing was looking at what we've done and how to increase the structure of the water. Okay. Structured water comes from, so I, I'll keep repeating this like a broken record. It comes from pure water, minerals, and um, healthy electromagnetic fields like the ones that emanate from the earth and the stars and the sun, meaning sunlight and other people and just positive energy from, you know, your garden. So, for instance, the Quinton Isotonic is a place in the ocean where there's essentially a permanent vortex and it's this vortexing seawater and the seawater mimics the minerals that are in our cells and tissues. And so this French guy, René Quinton, just figured out a way to suck the water out of the middle of the vortex because vortexes are essentially the way that nature structures water. And that's why there's a vortex in our heart that structures the blood, etc. So he mimicked that by sucking the water out of this vortex seawater. He purified it without using heat, which was a trick, and they put it in bottles. And it's fundamental to restoring the conditions that create structured water in our tissues, blood, and cells. And is this something you drink? I mean, how is this therapy? Yeah, drink it. They have, they comes in ampules. It come, I put, you know, a capful in every liter of water I drink. I take oh. these ampules of structured water, of quinton structured water, you know, every day for and do you are these available on your website or where would someone like uh, me those are we don't have those on our website but there's you if you if you google uh, or whatever duck duck go uh, okay but um quinton plasma you'll find places place okay. called Quick, quicksilver scientific they they sell so okay Number five, chapter five, Gerson therapy. I'm very familiar with it, but for those outside who are not, talk a little bit about Gerson therapy and what do you think? Does it work? So Gerson was a German guy who originally came up with a treatment for tuberculosis by using carrot juice and things. But the, thing, the reason I was interested in it, I mean, I've been interested in it for 40 years and have had a Norwalk juicer for 40 years. He said the problem is the sodium-potassium balance. The sodium is leaking in and the potassium is leaking out. 
and that <clears throat> fails to create a charge, and there you have a dysfunctional or uh, cell that loses its communication. So his entire program was <clears throat> getting rid of the poisons from the cell and putting more potassium in the cell and uh, getting the sodium out. <clears throat> One of the ways he did that was by creating a special juicer, which extracts the structured water from plants called the Norwalk juicer, and that contains high potassium content. My point of that was, I mean, it works some, it uh, doesn't work for everybody, and my experience was more or less disappointing in how it worked. Uh, but that he was onto the idea. The idea was there's something in the cell that creates the sodium-potassium balance. I want to get more potassium. If he had realized that it's the structured water that does that, you wouldn't have to do exactly what he was doing. Because it turns out it doesn't work as well as you'd like. And it's because, but it's a good lesson in just a brilliant guy got very close to figuring this out. Uh, he knew he was, he was dealing with sodium-potassium balance, so he just gave people lots of potassium and no sodium. I mean, that's not a bad idea. Unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately, that's not the whole story, but, you know, fair enough. All right, cardiac. Um... So cardiac glycosides are uh, plant, usually plant, there's one from a toad, but um, that are chemicals that are known to affect the sodium-potassium pump, which, of course, we now know doesn't, it doesn't, not like it doesn't exist, but it's mostly irrelevant. And, the, and so by affecting the sodium-potassium pump, it affects this distribution of charges across the membrane. Um, and so the two main ones are digitalis or digoxin and strophanthus wabini. And both of them have had uh, been known for decades for having a profound effect on cancer. In other words, if you affect the sodium-potassium distribution, you will change the in incidence and prognosis for people with cancer. So that was no surprise to me because that's the whole point. Uh, you affect the sodium-potassium distribution, uh, then you change the incidence of cancer. So I, I have been... It also changes the charge, which, uh, so that's one of the reasons I got so interested in strophanthus, because it's different than digoxin. It stimulates the healthy distribution of sodium and potassium and makes the heart function better, and that's the whole problem with cancer. And how do you get access to these glycosides? Where do you buy them? So the, you know, the best one, the safest one, and the most effective is strophanthus seed extracts, which have an active ingredient called wabiine in them. And this may sound self-serving, but this is the medicine that the company that I started called Human Heart Cosmic Heart, uh, which is the website, we, just, we sell that to okay. practitioners. So it's... We, it's mostly a heart medicine. That's what I wrote the whole Human Heart Cosmic Heart book about. And so I have a network of healthcare practitioners all over the country who are using strophanthus seed extracts, and people contact me, and I just help them get it. All right. Um, plant and mushroom medicine. I love mushroom medicine, but 
what have you learned about plants and mushrooms for cancer prevention and I mean the main one the main one was mistletoe which is Steiner's cancer medicine yeah. and interestingly when when Rudolph Steiner was asked what does it do he said um, mistletoe heals the etheric body of the cancer patient so what do we mean by an etheric body the etheric body is the water body um, and he talked a lot about what an etheric body is, how it's based on the water. And so that made sense to me because it's all about the water body. So when you give this, this plant that in nature looks like cancer, you know, it grows, it parasitizes trees, it grows all, all year round, it doesn't have any regard to seasons or up or down. It's a very primitive, undifferentiated plant sucks the juices out of the trees. But there's a difference between cancer and mistletoe. So cancer grows undifferentiated, grows, doesn't have any regard to seasons or circadian rhythm, just like mistletoe. But cancer will kill the patient, whereas trees with mistletoe are healthier than trees not with mistletoe. In other words, mistletoe has unlocked the secret of <clears throat> How to parasitize my host and end up making us both better off. Much more that's symbiotic. Yeah, that's a trick that actually teaches us the true, like this whole survival of the fittest thing is basically nonsense, you know. Yeah. So it's not survival of the fittest, it's coexistence. Yeah. And if you can teach a patient with cancer to coexist with their, with their tumor or their cancer, then it becomes less of a threat. And that's what mistletoe does. It heals your water body and it teaches coexistence, which is the real way that nature works, not this survival of the fittest, which was basically an economic construct that was designed to make us have miserable lives. Let's just say it like that. Chapter eight, the ketogenic diet. It's all the rage. I've heard so many people talking about on TED Talks, especially how I cured my uncurable by going on a ketogenic diet. What are your thoughts on that for cancer? So the main thought was people think ketogenic diet means don't eat any uh, carbs uh, and that'll lower my blood sugar. We all know that cancer has to eat sugar in order to live. The PET scans prove that. So I'm going to lower my blood sugar by eating a ketogenic diet, and that will starve the cancer, and I'll be fine. That's the theory in a nutshell. Right. The problem with that theory is even if you just don't eat, in other words, even if you fast for a week, your blood sugar will never drop to the levels that you need in order to kill the cancer. That's just a fact. Your body will not let your blood sugar drop to the 40s or 50s, which is the level that we know it takes to kill the cancer. Even if you don't even not a ketogenic diet, you just don't eat. You'll starve to death with a blood sugar of the 60s, 70s, or 80s. Now, it's true if your blood sugar is 150, it'll bring it down to normal, which is good. But it can't possibly work by lowering the blood sugar. That's just a myth. You can easily prove that. Yet, it does help. So why? 
the the answer to that is likely because there's a uh, an isotope of hydrogen called deuterium, and the more deuterium you have, the higher your cancer incidence, and essentially the worse your health is, because deuterium interferes with your ability to make ATP, and it interferes with your ability to make healthy crystalline water. And here's the thing, fats, because their complexity, can't incorporate deuterium into their structure, whereas glucose can. So when you de derive your fuel through, because you when you metabolize water or fats, you create water, and that water from glucose metabolism is high in deuterium, whereas the water from fat metabolism is low in deuterium. This has been very conclusively demonstrated. So essentially, a ketogenic diet is a deuterium depletion strategy, which, as I point out in the book, is well known to treat cancer patients. Got it. Got it. Number 10 is, um, well, you talk in Chapter 9 about deuterium depleted water. Anything to add to that, or we can jump to Chapter 10, NADH? I mean, that's, that's probably the most profound intervention along with mistletoe therapy because, again, structured water, which is the key, is made from pure water, so not get rid of toxins, especially electromagnetic fields, glyphosate, et cetera. Um, you need proteins and you need fields and you need... Uh, low deuterium water so you can create healthy gels and make enough ATP to structure your water. So you can deplete your body of, of you can get rid of the excess deuterium by drinking deuterium depleted water or a ketogenic diet or both. And it's very simple and straightforward and amazingly you take two Groups of people, one do normal therapy for breast cancer, one do normal therapy and, and deuterium depleted water, and they live twice as long. And how do you get access to deuterium depleted water? So there's a bunch of websites now. When I wrote the book, actually there was none. Now there's three. There's drinklightwater.com. There's um, deuterium-agua.com. I think there's another one. Um, people are telling me all about the new ones. I, I wish they all put them in glass bottles, but they don't. And it can get expensive, so it's a little tricky, but that, that's the way to get deuterium depleted water. Okay. NADH. What's NADH that? is the hydrogen donor. So if you have low hydrogen, you'll have high deuterium. You have high deuterium water, you can't structure your water, you can't make ATP, and you'll get sick. So NADH is very simple. It's just a hydrogen donation strategy. Okay. And the last one, uh, energetic life forces. So, right, that can be anything from just consciousness. So I... I you know, explained a prayer way of doing that, which I like. There's crystals like the one that you have. I don't know that crystal in particular, but um, that's crystals 
mimic water in a sense. Water is, you know, you could ask the interesting question um, because uh, a perfect crystal, perfect geometric crystal like diamond never degrades. That's why they use it in computers. And you can store an infinite amount of information on there. That's why they use it in computers. So it is a neg entropy, a negative entropy, quote, device is a perfect geometric crystal. Perfect means it won't ever degrade. They have crystals now they expect to be around a million years ago, a million years from now. So you could say, why isn't the human being or any living thing, why aren't we made of crystals? Right. Because that would be the perfect structure we would live forever. The answer is because crystals aren't flexible enough. So crystals can't really learn or grow, right? You can imprint something into a crystal, like a computer chip, and you can make it do things, but you can never make a computer or a crystal grow or learn, no matter what the AI people tell you. It cannot happen because a crystal is a fixed geometric entropy. And if you can picture the enormity of, of what I'm about to say, the enormity of nature. So nature said, okay, we need this crystalline geometric structure but that can imprint all this information, but we need it to also be infinitely changeable so that the living system can grow and learn because that's what this game is all about. You have, you're born with a living crystal called water. Right. And it is, can imprint the same amount of information as the diamond or the quartz, yeah. but it changes over time. And so it allows you to grow and change, which is the essence of life. And if you just, if people could see it like that and see like, how amazing that is and therefore anything that we do should be filtered through what is its impact on water because if you degrade the structure you lose the information you lose the life force you yeah. become dust that's what we call death absolutely. or disease and that's how this works absolutely this is where even uh, practices like Tai Chi make right. such a tremendous difference to people who are sick, even though they don't understand why it works. It works. There are stories of people being in wheelchairs and walking out of wheelchairs just from a consistent Tai Chi practice. It's because of the life force. Right. They're able to bring back their life force into, their, into them. And, and the next thing you know, it doesn't matter what disease you have, right. you have yeah, you have hope. Um, last part, and we're going to kind of race through this a little bit. Practical steps forward for individuals. And you've got two chapters, basic cancer therapy framework. And should you be screened for cancer? Let's start with basic cancer therapy framework. What should it look like? I mean, I, you know, I gave the outline, basically a, a diet and, you know, detoxification. It's all these things, saunas and getting rid of electromagnetic fields and drinking deuterium depleted pure water, maybe even oxygenated water. I'm looking into that. 
and using mistletoe if you can get somebody to prescribe it and you know mushrooms the whole the whole strategy is outlined in there the the, the difference for me is i have a, a central compass which is everything has to go through how does it affect the structure of water i mean i know i'm sounding like a broken record here but most people they just do this, do that, do that. The turmeric is good for you. This is good for you. I mean, there, there's no central unifying theme. I was looking for, you know, 40 years, a unified field of medicine. So it's heart disease, autoimmune disease, cancer. It's all about the degradation of the structure of our water. The structure of the water makes the blood flow. It protects the vessels. And so there's various ways of doing it. I, I don't mean to suggest <coughs> that my way of doing that, because I think the most important thing for anybody to understand is that's what you're doing. If you want to do that with Tai Chi or drinking Lord's water, which is this highly structured water that had, has been prayed, whatever that means, you know, but that's fine. It's all doing the same thing. And so you can come up with an infinite number of strategies, but you've got to realize, which we don't, that this is what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And should people get screened for cancer? I mean, my point of that was it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is a lot of reasons, really. But the main one, it's like I tell people, if you screen for a, dis a disease that's going to spread in a year, and you screen every 10 years, you're going to have to be really lucky to catch it at a time before it spread, and therefore it doesn't mean anything to screen. And because of that dynamic, you're always going to catch slow-growing tumors, and the bad ones you don't catch with screening. And so the upshot of that is you're going to get statistics that look like high cure rates and no change in the survival rate. Or it, here's another way to say it. If you have a breast cancer that's going to kill you in five years, and you, uh, you feel it three years before it kills you, and you do it, find it with a mammogram in five years before it kills you, to do a study and say mammograms make you live two years longer is not really a great thing. Because all that happened was you found it two years earlier than you would have if you hadn't bothered to look. And so you lived two years longer with breast cancer than you would have if you had just not found it. And but isn't it true? Because I, I think my perspective is a little different. So if I hadn't pushed hard for the colon cancer screening, I would be dead because they found it. It was stage one, went in, did some surgery cleanup work and I got to live because it was something that they could actually carve out. So for certain cancers, the ability to early detect means the early ability to also remove that tumorous piece and of course allow someone like myself to get educated because as human beings, right, we don't always do the right thing at all the times and so when we get sick, when we face um, our mortality, we wake up and we say, wait a minute, um, what am I missing? How do I get healthier? And so 
of course, that was a very pivotal moment in my life because prior to that, I'd been living on mochalata chills and cinnabons and my whole life changed. I changed the diet and lifestyle of my family and became knowledgeable. So the early detection was able to give me and my whole family a whole new uh, lease of a healthier life. Thoughts on that? Yep. Problem is, you would have a really tough time proving that that works for with screening time. So I would also suggest that your situation was different. You weren't actually screening. You had an intuition or a sense right. that something was wrong. Yes. That's completely different. Yes. And this is simple facts we're talking about. If you do a hundred thousand or millions of people and you screen asymptomatic people. I see what you're saying. Okay. You will not be able to demonstrate that they live. That's just the fact. Well, and, and then on the other side, we do know, and I've seen some studies on this, that actually mammograms, because they do radiate, um, may be causing issues long term for someone who's doing them every year or every two years. So here's, a, here's the biggest study that was ever done on that. By lead author was a guy named Gilbert Welch. They did, uh, one group had mammograms every seven years, the other group had them every year. After 14 years, there was two findings. One, the death rate was the same, and two, the ones who had every year had 37% higher incidence of breast cancer. So there's two possible explanations for that. One is mammograms cause a heck of a lot of breast cancer, which hasn't been shown with other studies. And two, which is the more likely, is that if you just don't bother to look, some cancers go away by themselves. Right. The answer is how many? So the answer was 37%. Now, that's interesting because the cure rate for early cancer is about 35%. So the reason I say this is because everybody knows an Aunt Bessie, thanks God she had a mammogram, caught it early, they did radiation, chemo, and surgery, and 20 years later she's alive. Yeah. It turns out that if Aunt Bessie had never bothered to look, she also may still be alive because it may have regressed on its own. That's just the facts. Now, we don't know which ones are which. And so that, that's the problem with doing screening is you're always going to catch a lot of cancers that don't need tr treatment, which means radiation, chemo, surgery, worry, economic misery, you know, et cetera, for people. And we can't tell which ones are which. Yeah. And so the only way to sort that out is to do proper studies that say, People who screen live longer than people who don't. And I will be happy to say I'm wrong about this if you can show me that stuff. Because I haven't seen it. Tom, this has been amazing. Um, thank you so much for writing the book. What is your one big insight that you still haven't shared that you wish everybody just knew and followed to stay healthy? Get involved with the Stop 5G initiative, because if that doesn't happen, it's just that is a catastrophic event. So that's going to mean getting rid of cell phones, all uh, wireless devices. We, we're at the point in history where 
there needs to be a huge change in how we live or things are not going to go so well. And I don't mean to be so doom and gloom about it, but as far as I can see, that's the reality. I couldn't agree more. I'm a huge believer in being loud and noisy and making a stink. I think time to be uh, for being, you know, gentle and calm is over. I think we're at the point now today where if a lot of us just don't get up and take charge of our own communities and our own health, it is going to be too late for our grandkids. And, you know, as I say, my time, okay, so I'm almost 50, you know, fine, I've lived a great life. It's less about me. It's a lot more about my kids and my grandkids and what yeah. kind of a future are we leaving for them. The good news is there are still parts of the world out there that are making smart decisions. And so the bigger question that gets raised these days around the dinner table um, of the communities that I hang out in is, you know, do we move? If 5G becomes real because of um, the forces that exist in our, in our society, in our nation, then does it, is it smarter to pick one of those beautiful countries that still are very, very immune to what's happening in some of the more developed parts of the world where 5G isn't coming? End of story. And, um, atmosphere, though, so it may not matter. So that was going to be my next question. Is, does that work, or once 5G goes up, it just we, goes up? We, I, don't, I don't know the answer, but I have a feeling that the, the putting these 100,000 satellites makes that option off the table. So we're really all in this together now. Wow. So much great information there. Dr. Tom Allen, thank you so much for taking the time to come join us today, but more importantly for writing this book. We're going to have a link, of course, to the book in the show notes. Um, for those of you that know folks that have cancer, please share this interview. Please share this show. If you liked it, um, I'd be so grateful for a little thumbs up. And um, join the conversation at HealCircles.org. We have a Beat Cancer Boot Camp. We have a Beat Cancer Circle. Join it. Let's have the conversation. And, of course, I'm going to see you on another podcast soon. Stay smiling. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.